Amen. If you've never uh, prayed over someone on stage or done something for someone on stage, and there's a moment at the end when you don't know if you should hug or shake or high five. That just happened if you couldn't. couldn't. (laughs) Anyways, so we're starting a new series today called Practicing the Way. And you might go, well, hang on a second. I've seen that logo before. Well, you actually have because this is a new slash old series. Last summer, we, we introduced this, this theme, and it's all about the spiritual disciplines, the practices of Jesus. And what we're going to do every summer is kind of go back to the spiritual disciplines. And we'll talk about a couple new ones. And we want to continually add to our scriptural uh, reservoir or sermon bank online. And so whenever you want to grow in a practice, or a spiritual discipline, you can go back and listen to the old lessons, listen to the new lessons, and to be able to grow in your depth with Jesus. And so we're going to kick back off on this today. And I've been reading this book, The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. If you guys want to pick that up also, I'll talk about that at the end. And and I've been listening to different podcasts. I've been been listening to a lot of teaching by John Mark Comer. If you haven't heard anything from him, uh, man, he's a brilliant man man of God. And uh, even a lot from this lesson, I first learned from him. uh, And I want to be able to teach to us today. So in starting out this series... I want us to focus on our relationship with Jesus. We love Jesus here, right? It's always a good place to start. We love Jesus being our brother and our friend. Man, how amazing is it to have Jesus as our father and our savior? How great is it to have Jesus as our king, the Messiah king? But this morning, I want us to focus on Jesus being our teacher, or in Hebrew, Jesus being our rabbi. Jesus, our rabbi. And that's our, my first point for us this morning, is Jesus, our rabbi. And we're going go to we're gonna go back to school with the chalkboard this morning, all right? And do it, go, go kind of dive in a little bit. And so Jesus, you know, being referred to as rabbi, um, whoops, okay, there we go. Jesus being referred to as rabbi happens over 60 times in the New Testament. I don't know if you've noticed that. Most of the time when, when the Pharisees, teachers of the law, people come up to Jesus and say teacher, that was actually their word for rabbi. And just like most uh, famous rabbi, Jesus had his Talmudim. Can everyone say Talmudim? Talmudim, that is the Hebrew word for disciple. Of course, our New Testament's in Greek, and so when you go research the Greek, you're not going to find this word. It's a Hebrew word, but it's the Hebrew word for disciple. And that can be translated as student or follower, or or maybe even a better translation is apprentice, that we apprentice under our rabbi and learn from him. And so I want to start out this morning in the book of Mark. You guys can get over there. And I want to look at a few passages together of Jesus the rabbi calling his Talmudim, his disciples. We'll start in Mark 1. Mark 1, 16. Let's start there. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Flip the page. Mark 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. 
Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Go another chapter over in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 apostles he's appointed. And he goes through and lists their names. We'll do one more. Mark chapter 8, a couple more pages over. Love hearing the paper turning in the auditorium, man. Bible flipping. Mark 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Okay, amen. We'll pause there for a second. And so what we saw here is Jesus calling his Talmudim, Jesus calling his disciples. And off the bat right here, I want to point out what his call to the disciples was not, okay? What he wasn't doing was saying, hey, believe in me so you can go to heaven. That wasn't what his call was. When he called his apprentices, his Talmudim, that was not what he was trying to give them. Instead, it was three revolutionary words. Come follow me. That was the call to his disciples, to his Talmudim. And this follow me, it's not like on Instagram, hey, follow me, bro, and check me out, keep up to date with me, right? Being a student of Jesus wasn't like a student of your professor on campus. It was something so revolutionally different than what we experience nowadays. Now, uh, you know, being the rabbis having disciples was not new for Jesus. Like he didn't, I don't know if you know this, he didn't make up that idea. It was actually well known and practiced all across Judea. In fact, most key rabbis would have had disciples, would have had Talmudim. And so you can kind of research rabbis before Jesus and after Jesus that had up to 70 disciples following them. But in fact, it wasn't even native of Judea. Uh, it's actually from Greece a couple hundred years earlier. You can think of like uh, Plato was a disciple of Socrates. And so this is a very old concept, but, st so th but there's so much here that Jesus dug into. Now, for us here at North River, we love talking about following Jesus, don't we? We love talking about being disciples of Jesus. We love diving into our discipleship and talking about, man, how are you doing in your discipleship? But even for us, I think so often we pull out this word disciple and we take it completely out of its first century context. And I think we miss something in there. And so what I want to do for just a second is I want to do a, just dive into the first century context and do a little history lesson for us on the first century Jewish education system. Is that cool with you guys? We got the blackboard and everything, all right? So here we go. The Jewish education system in the first century. So all, most, uh, basically every child in, Jude in, uh, in Judea, male and female, would go to the first education system, which was called Beit Sahur, which was the house of the book. And then you would go to, you're about 12 years old, and you would learn grammar, arithmetic, kind of simple things like that. But along with, you would study and memorize the Torah. So the first five books of the, of the uh, Old Testament Almost every Jew by the age of 12 in Judea, in Judea would have that memorized. 
We wonder what's wrong with our children. <laughs> and so, but after that, basically everyone was done by the age of 12. And all the women would uh, end their schooling there, and then they would go get married, usually by the age of 13. We've come a long way. And then the, most of the, the boys would then go, and they would apprentice under their father in their family business. But the few, the best of the best, would go to the next education system for the Jews, and that was called Beit Talmud, or the House of Learning. And so in this, this was a building that was built right alongside the synagogue, and you would have a full-time paid teacher teaching you. It was only about three years. You'd go from about 12 to 15. And here you would memorize almost all of the Old Testament. And so that, that is this section right here. And you'd have that memorized within three years. Most of us can't even get through reading the Old Testament, <laughs> much less memorizing it. I mean, this was, but it was the best of the best. And then basically from there, almost everyone was done, except for the rare few, the, the Malgo Cum Laude's, the Victorians, the, the best of the best of the best. Any Men in Black fans out there? Why are you here? Because we are the best of the best of the best, sir. Anybody? No? Thank you, Chase. That was for me. All right, sometimes you have a joke just for you. Go watch Men in Black as a classic. All right. And so if you're the best of the best of the best, you had the rare opportunity to become a Talmudim, a disciple. And you didn't just automatically get in. You had to go through a rigorous interview and interrogation with a rabbi. And then he would interrogate you about the Torah and the Old Testament. And, and if he felt like your knowledge was beyond most other people, and if he felt like you had the drive and the character and the work ethic, the teaching ability, whatever it was, then at the end of these series of interrogations or interviews, he would say something along the lines of, come, follow me. And then you would become his Talmudim. You would become his disciple. Now, if you were one of those rare few you would have three goals as a Talmudim. And so that's the Talmudim. You'd have three goals. Number one was to be with your rabbi. To be with your rabbi. This wasn't a Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 10 to noon type of class going to the professor. This was a 24-7 gig. In fact, one of the main Hebrew blessings of that time was may you be blessed, uh, may you be blessed by being covered with the dust of your rabbi. And the whole idea was, of course, during that time, most of the roads weren't paved, except in the major cities. And the idea is you're following your rabbi from town to town on these dirt roads, and as he's kicking up dust, your goal was to be so close that you kind of get covered in it. And then by the end of the day, if you were covered in dust from your rabbi, it wasn't, not only was it not shameful, not only was it, did you not seem dirty, it was a blessing to the Hebrew culture. It was, man, you are blessed because you are that close to a rabbi. How lucky are you? So your first goal was to be with your rabbi. Your second goal as a disciple, as a Talmudim, was to become like your rabbi. And it's so interesting how different this is from our age now. Because now we live in this age that the, the main truth out there is to be true to yourself. You are original. You are so unique. Be, be your own. Find your own dream, your own mission. Like, you're a flower. You're, you're a princess. You're like a snowflake. You're so original. Like, you know, whatever media tells it. You know, it's just it's out there. Back then, it was completely different. You wanted to become the carbon copy of your rabbi. You wanted to match his tone of voice. 
You want to match his dress. You wanted to match the way he scanned the room, the way he talked, the way that he moved. Your goal was to become just like your rabbi. And then number three, uh, after you, you were with your rabbi, after you became like your rabbi, and then you did what your rabbi did. So all this had a goal. All this had a purpose. You weren't supposed to follow your rabbi for your, your entire life. At some point, the, your rabbi would kind of look at you, and he would say, you know, son, you got what it takes. You've grown. You've become like me. You've changed. Now you go be your own rabbi and call your own disciples. And then you would go become your own rabbi. And so that, that's, the, that's the history lesson, okay? Yeah, we, we're done with that. Everyone that doesn't like the history channel, you're, it's over, all right? We can, we can move on because I want to pull back out of that first century context to now and make a couple points. Is that cool? Yeah. Number one, back in uh, Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 8, if you got it open there in front of you, look right there in verse 34 again with me. After learning the intense process that it was only the best of the best of the best that could possibly have the chance to become a disciple or Talmudim, check out Jesus' revolutionary words. Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Did you catch it? Whoever, whoever wants to be my disciples. This would have been unheard of. This would have been scandalous. This would have been, Jesus, what are you doing, a main rabbi? Not everyone can be, they have to go through the system, they have to go through this process. But Jesus says, whoever, anyone, anywhere, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're at right now, you have the chance to come be my Talmudim. This is amazing stuff right here. And because of that, Jesus breaking out of that system, now all of us, whoever, can be Jesus' Talmudim. Amen. Amen? Amen? And so we can be Jesus' Talmudim, and because of that, we have those same three goals. As Jesus' disciples, as Jesus' apprentices, to experience life to the full in Christ, we have these same three goals. One, to be with who? Number two, to become like Jesus. And number three, to do what Jesus did. Now, here's what I want to pause for a second. And with these three, this isn't revolutionary, right? This isn't like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of this before. But let me tell you about a concern that I have for our church, okay? I think way too often we start at number three. Way too often, we, we want to do what Jesus did now without putting in the time to be with him and to become like him. Guys, we live in an instant gratification society where, man, we want everything now. If in the drive-thru, if it takes longer than 30 seconds, we're mad. If my phone takes three seconds to load something instead of half a second, I'm like, what's wrong with my slow phone? But if we want everything right now. But let me tell you something. You cannot instant message Christ-likeness. You cannot microwave character. It takes time. It's a process. It is a process to become like Christ. You have to be with Jesus first. Then out of that, you become like Christ. And out of that, you can consistently, over the long run, do what Jesus did. 
Can, can, can you kind of by willpower get yourself to follow Jesus today? Yeah, probably. But you can't do that for five years if you haven't been with him. You guys following me? So I want to focus on that first point for us, and it's my, it's my second and last point, is be with Jesus. So you, there you go. Hey, cool. There you go. You won't last if you skip the first two steps. Bang. All right. Be with Jesus. That's what we're going to focus on for the last uh, remaining of our time. Flip over to John 15. It all has to start with being with Christ. And uh, as you're flipping in John 15, if you remember Mark 3, right? We, we, won't, we won't go to it. You remember Mark 3 when he called his apostles. He had a bunch of disciples. The apostles were just a select few of his disciples. And he, the first thing that he called them to do, do you all remember? It was Mark 3. And he said he called them, he appointed the 12 that they might, you all remember what it was? Be with him. That they might be with him. And he called them to be with him before he, he called them to preach before he called them to cast out demons, the first thing was to be with him. And we see the same type of language in John 15. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruits. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, man, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruits, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so right here, Jesus is clearly focused on one central topic to remain to be with him to some translations say to abide in him and and when he's when Jesus is coming up with how am I going to get this analogy across like how am I going to get this idea across what picture could I use what analogy could I use he didn't pick two things next to each other he didn't pick two things alongside to each other he picked two things that can't exist without each other a branch and a vine that that's the level of being with we need to be. Like that, that the lifeblood, the water, the photosynthesis that goes through from a vine to the branch, like that's how much we need to be with Jesus. And then did you catch what was the worst thing that can happen in this verse? It was to be, to be cut off, to be thrown out, away from the vine. The worst thing to Jesus is to not be with him. He desperately wants us first and foremost to be with him. And you might ask, okay, this all sounds good, Jordan, but what does this have to do with the spiritual disciplines? And my answer would be everything. It has everything to do with the spiritual disciplines. So let's kind of talk, let's take a step back and talk about spiritual disciplines and connect it to all this, okay? So the spiritual disciplines are, um, the spiritual disciplines are physical and mental habits of Jesus intentionally followed 
to be with him and become like him. And they enable us to live in a power that is strictly speaking beyond ourselves. Okay, so starting out, the whole goal of this is to practice the habits of Jesus, the routines of Christ, the, uh, the, his day-to-day lifestyle, and to adopt those habits into our lives. But here's the key, those don't intentionally happen, do they? When was the last time you just inten- you would, like, unintentionally, accidentally became like Christ? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm always like going the opposite direction. I'm like, no, Christ, Jesus, be like Christ, right? Like I just have to become like, I have to become like him. And I, I don't do it naturally. I, it takes intentionality to be with him and then become like him. And the goal of all that is there's a Holy Spirit power outside of your willpower. Because I don't know, have you figured out yet that by willpower alone, you cannot last with Christ? Have you guys realized that? Like there's some crazy statements by Christ, like love your enemies. Do not worry. (laughs) My willpower can't handle that one. (laughs) I mean, maybe for a day or two, but for my life, I need a Holy Spirit power to help me, to transform me. And that all comes out of being with and becoming like Jesus in the spiritual disciplines. So technically everything Jesus did was a spiritual discipline. Okay, ironically, the disciplines are not really commanded often by Jesus, except prayer. That's the exception. Jesus commands prayer often. But if you think about it, super important practices of Christ that are spiritual disciplines, Jesus very rarely commands. Think about it, like reading your Bible, practicing Sabbath, worshiping in community, Practicing silence and solitude. Giving to the poor. Memorizing scripture. Jesus rarely ever tells his disciples to do that. Or he rarely ever commands that. Well, does that mean that Jesus didn't want us to do it? Well, no. See, Jesus didn't have to call his disciples to follow those habits of his because he had already called them to follow him. And so he knew that he called them to follow him, and so that when he went and practiced spiritual spiritual disciplines, they would too. And so when he was in silence and solitude and prayer up in the garden of Gethsemane, who else was there? The disciples were there with Jesus learning how to do that. When he was memorizing scripture or, or reciting scripture, the disciples were there with him, learning how to do that alongside. When he was fasting, The disciples were right there along. When he practiced Sabbath or when he worshiped together in community, they were right there along with him practicing that and learning how to do that because they were with Jesus. You see, the difference here for us, man, here is, is another way to look at it is the difference between looking at the red letters of Jesus versus the black letters. Okay, just in case you don't have one of those Bibles, all right, the red letters are Jesus's teachings and the black letters are what he did. Now, as a church, we love the teachings of Jesus, don't we? We're all about, wow, apparently only Chase was fired up by the teachings of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I know we do. I know we do, right? I'm trying to get back used to people in the crowd. You get a little feedback, you know what I'm saying? But um, we love the teachings of Jesus. We're all about them. To the day that we die, we will follow Jesus' teachings here at North River. But we can't just do that alone. We also need to follow the black letters what he did 
his habits, his lifestyles, his routines. And instead of letting our iPhone and our technological age in the busyness of life and modern society uh, uh, morph us and transform us into that lifestyle and that routine, we need to look at how Jesus lived his life to adopt his routines and his habits and his disciplines. And out of that, man, we will be able to, able to follow his teachings so much better, so much more, and so much more deeply. So for us, even though Jesus isn't here, even though we, we, you know, there's no more paved roads and we can't have the dust of our rabbi coming up on us, it is still a blessing to be with our rabbi Jesus. But how do we do that? You know, we can't go be with him. We can't, when we practice his habits, when we practice his routines, Jesus is there. You guys remember Matthew 28, verse 20? When Jesus says, I will be with you always. And so when you go and you spend time with Jesus in silence and solitude, and you follow him to that end of prayer, and it's as if to say, Jesus, you've always been here, but I haven't been. I've been, I've been busy at work. I've been, I've been distracted on my iPhone. I've been frustrated at my kids. But no, Jesus, now I'm here. And we're here together. Yes. And I'm with you. Yeah, and out of that, we can take the presence of God with us before our minds throughout our life. And we can live with Christ no matter what we're doing. And we can live out being with him wherever we go. To this day, remaining in the vine is the most important thing we do as disciples. You will not last following Christ if you are not with him. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about the spiritual disciplines and give some practicals and close out. All right? And so uh, there's different ways to split up the, the spiritual disciplines or the practices of Jesus. They're really just the habits of Christ. Um, in the book I'm reading now, this is how uh, uh, Foster splits it up. He splits it up into the inward practices, the outward practices, and the corporate practices. And that whole, whole idea is there's the, the practices uh, of Jesus that are about your inner space, your mental and your heart space. And so there, there are things like meditation and prayer and fasting that happen inside of you. And then there's the practices that are, are more outward. Some of them are with people, some of them are not. But more of the key is they're the atmosphere that you live in, right? And so there are things like simplicity. I have changed the atmosphere of my life that it's simple. Or I've changed the atmosphere of my life where I, I regularly find times by myself. And it's the atmosphere I put myself in or hospitality or service. Then there's the corporate practices that where we do together. We do in community in that it is all of us coming together in worship because you can't follow Christ alone. And so it's confession, it's worship, it's guidance, it's community, all, all that kind of stuff. So we'll be diving into a few of these. We talked about some last summer. You can find those lessons online. We'll talk a few, about a few more this summer and continue to add to our bank of spiritual disciplines. I want to remind you guys, before we talk about practicals, that something very, very important, okay? Something very, very important. These are not the goal. The goal is to be with Jesus. The, 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 this, is not the, this is not the end of themselves. They are a means to an end. The end is to be with Christ. 
The end is to experience Christ, to become like Christ, and to do what he did. These are just, so, so don't, this summer, as you're, we're diving into this, don't start puffing yourself up. Man, I've been practicing silence and solitude like every other day for three months. I'm a good Christian. How about you? How have you been doing it? That? You're a punk Christian. I'm a good Christian. Like, don't, that's not the point. The point is to become like Christ and let these, adopting these habits over time to practice, to train us. See, spiritual disciplines are not about trying. They're about training. Because when we try to follow Jesus on our own will, we can only go so far. But when we train and adopt his lifestyle over time and practice these things day in and day out, month in and month out, the, the trajectory of our character over years becomes like Christ. So let, let's close out with a couple of practicals before we pray for communion. So number one, I want to call all of us at North River to read a spiritual book on the spiritual disciplines this summer. Okay, can I call you guys to do that? Sometime this summer, we're going to be doing this for two months. I'm reading the book right now, The Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster. It's the first one on the list to the right. The Spirit of the Disciplines is a classic by Willard. Um, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is Awesome by Comer. Pick up a book, dive into the spiritual disciplines, go deeper this summer uh, with Christ. Then number two, choose one spiritual discipline to grow in this summer. As I put up uh, the different types of disciplines a second ago, I know a lot of us, as we look at that, we can go, you know, with my personality, I can kind of, I'm better, I'm more natural at those, but I'm not as natural at those. So if I'm an extrovert, I'm, I'm a lot better at the corporate disciplines. And for you extroverts out there, man, practice silence and solitude this summer. Practice being alone with Christ. Practice fasting. For those of us that are a little more introverted, practice the communal side, whether it's community or confession or worship. And for all of us to grow more holistically to become like Christ. And that by the end of summer, it won't just be I've grown in this discipline, but by the end of summer, all of us across North River will have spent more time being with and becoming like Christ. Amen? Let's pray for the communion. Father God, we love you. And what an honor it is that you allow us to be Jesus' Talmudim, Jesus' disciples, that you open up your spirit to us constantly, that we can pray without ceasing, that your presence is with us always. God, I pray we don't take that for granted and that we will cherish the privilege that it is to be with King Jesus. And God, I pray that as we dive into this summer, that we can go deeper into the habits and the lifestyles of Christ, that we can adopt some of the spiritual disciplines that are not natural for us, not just to be a discipline of our life, but so that we can be with Christ and be more holistically like him. I pray that as a church, we don't skip to the end of be doing what Jesus did without first spending time with Jesus. God, I pray you Fuel us with a power that is beyond us, that Holy Spirit power, and that it comes from us being with Christ. Thank you for being with us right now as we celebrate the, the juice and the bread to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. And in his name we pray, amen.